Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And good morning, good evening, wherever you may be. Welcome to Safety Wars for Thursday, June 15th, 2023. Hope everybody is doing well out there. I know I'm doing pretty well. Got everything I needed to get done today. This was just it. We did not release a podcast on Tuesday. I just slipped my mind. Got a lot of stuff going on. As we know, Travel League, Baseball, All-Stars. Hard to keep up with everything going on in my world. A lot of moving parts, as uh, an old boss of mine said. How you doing out there? So, where do I get some of the ideas for this stuff? I'm going to call it, say, uh, I was on the Safety Consultant Facebook group today. Managed by... Uh, managed by Sheldon Primus, friend of the program. Also on the Safety FM network. He's all about uh, helping uh, develop safety consultants. So A, I will give her initials. Her initials are PC. She had a post today. Good morning. Just wondering what systems y'all using to track uh, JSAs? So as you know, JSAs, JHAs, we talk a lot about them. Uh, There is no real reason why companies are not uh, writing uh, JHAs. No, even small companies anymore. It's uh, senseless, pretty much. You say, well, Jim, that's a little bit harsh. Well, yeah, okay, well, we got to be harsh. What's harsh is injuries are harsh. People getting hurt, that is harsh. All this other stuff is harsh, right? But piece of paperwork, that's not harsh. Saying you need a piece of paperwork, that isn't harsh. Now you're going to say, well, okay, uh, whatever. What's the big deal? Well, it is a big deal. Uh, right now I am. They are supposed to, I'm um, seeing if I'm live here on YouTube. Very frustrating. It says up here I'm live on YouTube. All right. Again, I need a broadcast engineer here. I'm trying to train my kids, but it ain't taken. It ain't, uh, the training is not taken. They're not, oh, here we go. Hold on. Nope. All right. So we'll figure it out later on. Pick it up off of another platform. If I don't have a video today, I don't have video today. Anyway, they had, uh, so we're talking about JHAs. What, what do you use? So we're going to talk about, uh, that there's a lot of pros and a lot of cons for JHAs. I think we've gone over or JSAs. I think we've gone over from time immemorial here constantly on this stuff. So, uh, essentially, uh, regulatory wise doesn't specifically state that there has to be a JHA. On your job. We're talking usually construction jobs. That's what we're talking about. Not uh, on general industry, you see a lot of it, especially in the chemical industry, pharmaceutical industry, oil industry, uh, oil exploration, anything like that, they have a JHA. But specifically in the construction industry, it calls it out that you have to be able to demonstrate that you instructed your employees on the hazards of the job. Often companies with a weak general safety plan, right, corporate plan, what we would call, 
often they use the JHAs to supplement that because their argument is, is look, somebody like me sitting in a uh, office 30, 40, 50, 60 miles away is uh, they're not, we're not going to know what the specific hazards are out on the job. Okay, fair enough. We don't know what the hazards are out on the job. Now, you're going to say, well, okay, uh, since we don't know hazards on the job, all right, what are we going to do? So the job hazard analysis then becomes everything that's required on the job. And you're supposed to be pretty specific and everything else on that, on exactly what uh, uh, you're supposed to be doing. This is all weird here going on tonight. What's going on? And yeah, I'm trying to do two things at one time. Hold on. I apologize, everybody. Okay. So this says I'm on all those platforms. And oh, here we go. Everything's off. Okay, hold on. I apologize, everybody here. We may have to do the intro first again here. I hate it when the computer says one thing and hold on. And then uh, the stream platform says something totally different. So let's go at this again. Uh, here, I'm going to play the intro again because there's a disclaimer on here. So hold on. Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. Okay, so, and that's what it comes down to. We're talking about JHAs, in case you're uh, listening to us on the uh, live feed. We had a little issue there with being on the video part of this. Uh, we had to restart things. I apologize to the people listening on safetyfm.com. Okay, so here we are. We, uh, JHAs, there was a person on, uh, by the initials of PC on Facebook and the safety consultants, uh, 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 Facebook group. What kind of, what do you use, right? What do you use to track JHAs? I'm going to say, we're going to, I'm going to talk about all the paperwork out there because this is really a critical thing. So the groove no hits the fan. All right. And. That's usually when they look at safety paperwork. Very rarely have I ever gotten audited in 31 years on where nothing happens and someone looks at the paperwork. Very rarely. It's when stuff happens. There's an injury. There's an illness. There's a, uh, uh, a major audit coming on for some reason. Maybe OSHA's coming in, and they're usually just worried about the paperwork for that day. There's a uh, incident, whatever. Litigation, someone comes in. That's usually when you have the issue. Also, at the end of the job, it becomes an issue. So, for example, we had, uh, I was working in the refining industry. I had one office for 13 years, and we saved all the paperwork. We saved all the paperwork every year because it was not, uh, Nothing, there was not really a high-speed scanner. The client didn't want to pay for a high-speed scanner. I didn't want to buy a high-speed scanner, that sort of thing. And I'm talking duplex. And the other thing is people wouldn't hand in their paperwork all the time. We'd be running all over for paperwork. It was extremely difficult to get uh, organized there when you have the client not backing you up when it comes to paperwork. But we managed to get it done, and we saved all the paperwork uh, and everything. And the reason being is, is that uh, you would go back, and it happened where, hey, we need the paperwork yanked from a year ago or six months ago on a certain day. Someone's claiming they got hurt. Someone claims that something happened, blah, blah, blah. We're having an issue with this, an issue with that, what have you. On the last job project I was on, uh, the they were receiving some government benefits. And 
we had to uh, where they were gotten some subsidies, indirect subsidies, you know, whatever it was. And what ended up happening was we had to track the number of people who were on the job and where they were from. They wanted only local work workers hired. I'm not telling anything, not violating an NDA. This is an open secret uh, for the most part. Or in certain regions of New York, they have what are called, uh, they want to keep all the jobs local, so you have to verify you're using local workers. Usually, they only uh, keep it to the actual tradespeople. However, uh, no, they also sometimes wanted to see local safety contractors, local uh, surveyors, local quality control people, things of that nature, to keep the money locally, that sort of thing. So what ended up happening was tracking of people and the paperwork became an issue. When I was in the refining industry, it was the same deal. At the end of the project, 13, after uh, how many years? Almost a, a little bit over 10 years. They, we had 10 years worth of paperwork. And we had a storage warehouse where we kept everything. So we, it turned out to be 26 Boxes, the file boxes of paperwork. So I told my secretary, uh, Tracy, I said, Tracy, I'm going to, I have a dual duplex scanner. It scans both sides and we ended up scanning everything in. It took her, it was high speed, so it took 26 boxes. And she said, well, what do you want me to do with it at the end? I said, throw it all out. Once it's scanned and verified we have it, throw it out. And we have all that stuff electronically. When we were doing the job over at uh, a facility up in uh, Orange County, New York, it was the same deal. It was a construction job. They had roughly 2,000 people on the job, and we were tracking all of the uh, paperwork at the, you know, and it took us, uh, it took us about three or four days. I had my cousin who was working as my uh, paid intern on the job. He scanned everything in. It took like three or four days for him to scan everything in, and everything was all hunky-dory there. No problems. But where was the issue? was on the people on the site orientations. On the site orientations, we had three or 400 people coming in a day, sometimes for an orientation, maybe 200 people a day, and you would get people you know, signing in and everything else. But it was usually two or three hundred a week. And at the end of the job, I mean, we had like a seven foot high stack, if you're going to stack it up, of side orientation forms. Two pages, double sided. And what would end up happening? People would end up pencil whipping them. And it was impossible to manage. And then we had to manage, uh, it was through the time of COVID in the land of COVID. Uh, we had to, uh, who was on site for the contact tracing, who was on site for the government stuff, right? For government reporting, uh, who was on site for the lawyers because uh, did they go through orientation because people would sometimes sue for, you know, hell yeah, I was there on Wednesday, March 10th and I got hurt. Well, how come you didn't report it? Well, I didn't report it. Well, and then it turns out that the guy never went through orientation or anything else. That's the first question. Didn't report it. Weren't in the orientation. Weren't in any of the paperwork. We don't think you were here. Real simple, right? Uh, with that, and that happened, uh, no, and that happened a couple of times. And uh, the but what ha happened was nightmare to manage all this paperwork. So what the client ended up doing, and they were happy because we scanned everything in periodically, and then at the end of the job, we had a big scanning uh, thing going on. At the end of the project, uh, the beginning of the next project, they said, okay, we're going to go to apps for everything because this is impossible to track people, especially for the orientations, the site audits, uh, orientations, site audits, uh, JHAs. We still had to keep track of them by hand, but we had a spreadsheet that we were very diligent in filling out, tracking things. So... Uh, this, now you're going to say, okay, now everything is on apps. Everything is wonderful, Jim, right? Everything is on an app. Isn't that wonderful? I, we hear this. So there are certain, so when this question came up with 
uh, on Facebook today. I said, you know what? This is probably something that you need to, uh, uh, you need to discuss with us. So here we have, I'm going to say you're going to say there are pros and there are cons to doing, doing this. And the thing is you want to get it done at the beginning of the job so you could be ahead of things. So what's you know, an app? We know what's some of the things that are good with it. It's organized. Well, yeah, right. And it forces people to make decisions. Well, what do I mean by that? It forces people to hit yes or no in that app. Usually yes, no, or not applicable. Force, right? Because then it will not advance you. It forces you to write something. If there's an incident, you have to can't leave anything black. And forces you, depending on how it's set up and what software you're using. And I'm not going to endorse any software at this point. If they want to endorse me, once my endorsement, they can give me a call, 845-269-5772, or contact me at jim at safetywords.com. You can see it in the ticker down on the bottom. So uh, what ended up what ends up happening is with that, you also have a time and date stamp. So when you hit submit on an app, usually it goes to somebody else, number of people, and they all know when the reports were done, when things happen. That's an important thing, especially if you're ever going to litigation. You have to verify on there, and people can go in there and quality control. Hey, let's see what Jim is doing. And once a week, they go, okay, Jim's got all this stuff together. Or, hey, Jim, I'm not seeing X, Y, and Z. What's going on there? And then it turns out that it's usually in the draft folder, and you hit submit. Forgot to hit submit, or you hit submit and didn't submit. And we'll talk about that in a minute also. And, you know, there's some things you have multiple people having access to the same documents at the same time. You're not chasing anything. So if a project manager or someone else, supervisor wants to go in there and see what's going on on the safety end, they could go in there. There's no excuse not to do it on the safety end. But there is an excuse. We'll go on that in a minute. And uh, depending on how what the app is, how it's set up, you could, you're able to data mine a lot of this stuff. Who was on site? The number of people on site. What kind of patterns are we seeing? What kind of data are we seeing? Is this being pencil lift? Is this not being pencil lift? Is it this? Is it that? What have you? Now, here are some of the cons. There are a lot of cons with this stuff. You can say, well, what do you mean? Apps are great. They're stylish. They're popular. They, hey, we spend money on them. Hey, we spend money on them. We're going to use them. We're, we spend hours setting them up. Apps are blah, 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 blah. Got to do the app. And guess what? Apps have a lot of good things to say, especially, let's say, an orientation app where you're doing site orientations. Now you're there, you give the person a QR code. They believe me, this is the thing with the QR code. Nobody knows how to use them. If you give them a QR code to a shameful website, I assure you, the people will figure out how to use it. All right. I, Male or female, well, that's the way it, way it is. If you give them an app, a QR code for a safety or a app or a safety web page or something like that, believe me, every one of the certificates I put out, training certificate, has a QR code on there. And they can't. a lot of people can't figure that out. You give them a QR code for a Zoom meeting, for a, uh, a, a cloud folder, something Hard to do. People can't navigate that. So the other thing is this. You need an internet connection. And a lot of places do not have internet connections. Especially if you're in a rural area and you're 50 miles away from a major city, you're not going to have an internet connection. Uh, the way it is. I was on, I won't mention the name of the company. I was uh, working with a company uh, at a job site. And the cell phone company called me up. And, hey, Mr. Pozel, how you doing? Blah, 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 blah. Hey, uh, and how's your internet connection? And I say, it's not so good. They say, well, where's, uh, well, okay, let's on the map. Where are you? Well, I said, I'm working at this, in this town. Oh, well, there should be a cell tower. I said, I tell you what, I'm looking at the cell tower right in front of me here. It doesn't work. 
you just put it in and just went live. They're like, yeah, we know. We were just checking on all the people in the area. Your cell phone came up, blah, 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 blah. You're, you're saying that you're looking at the cell tower? Well, are you under it and all the, everything is going above you? I said, no, I'm about a third of a mile away. I'm looking right at it. Oh, wow. Still today, no cell coverage. Uh, maybe, uh, what are you doing? Are you relying on the employee to bring their own cell phone? Okay, well, if you're a professional, guess what? That'll work. That, that'll work, right? But what if you're somebody who's still operating a flip phone? There's a lot of people out there that operate flip phones for various reasons. A lot of them not tech savvy. A lot of them have a hard time reading a cell phone, a smartphone. A lot of people get into trouble with the smartphones. They go and do things they're not supposed to. So their spouse says, you're not allowed to have a smartphone. I run into, I run into that too. And there you have an old flip phone. How are they going to get trained? It's a big issue. Some collective bargaining agreements for the union, the unions will not let the employee use their own cell phone on the job. So you go there. Guess what? You're the safety person. Oh, okay. Oh, here's the QR code. Here, go and read this. You go and read. Oh, they're like, well, I don't know how to use that. Or huh, I'm not using my phone for that now. How are you going to get into the orientation? Are you just going to say to them, well, hey, then you can't come to work if there's a subcontractor? All these jobs are on schedules. All these jobs are on schedules. You're going to turn back 20, 30, 40, 100 people? I've already put through 100 people through orientation, 200 people through orientation. They were just going to turn everybody away. You have to find out what kind of capacity you're going to have. Is there, I'm working for the GC, but how about another subcontractor? They know about the uh, uh, QR codes. They know about internet connections. Can you get them to do it beforehand? Because that's not going to be free. They're not going to do it for free. That's all got to be on the clock, especially if it's a union job. You got to figure this stuff out ahead of time. There's planning that has to be in there. Uh, does the company give equipment? How many companies do I deal with where they do not give the foreman a laptop, iPad? Now it's getting to the point where they have to have an iPad because nobody's going out and spending $1,000 on printing out uh, CAD drawings or what we used to call blueprints. When I got into business, they still had blueprints in some applications sometimes, right? I ate something very salty, right? That's right. If you're on the uh, video feed, I'm taking a lot of, Drinking a lot of water, and believe me, it's not right. It's not Romulan the nail in there. Anyway, they uh, so that's going to be worked out. How about the people who can't read? That's a problem with the paperwork. That's also a problem with the apps. It compounds itself. Some people do not are not able to read. They're not able to read well. I don't mean in Spanish or. Uh, Portuguese or uh, many now it's Ukrainian because there's an incentive for companies to hire Ukrainians for work. We're not talking about that. They can't read in any language. How, what are you going to do? You're going to have them run through an app? Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Watch this video. Is it in a language and in vocabulary that they understand? Are they going to say, yeah, I trust that go? No, some of these people, I had a guy, uh, right? He looked at the thing, and he under he fluent in five languages, including English. He was an English teacher. He read every line of that orientation. It took him two hours to get through that. I was like, what are you doing? Well, I read and I thought about every line of that orientation. Okay, great. Guess what? Some guys, five minutes. Are they really doing that with the site orientation? Click, 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 click. All right, we're just going to click through it. That's okay. No problem. Uh, no, no, no. So they uh, you say uh, right, literate people. Now, the advantage of paperwork is that it can be scanned in electronically, and you can, if you need a hard copy, you go and get it. Often, when you don't have computers on site or anything else, 
The paperwork may be your only option. You're just saying, Jimmy, it's 2023. I know it's 2023. However, companies, now if you're working with smaller companies, right? If you're forced to work with smaller companies for a whole host of reasons, this is an issue. Are you going to require them to have paperwork? Are they don't have any equipment? They don't have any smartphones. They don't have any laptops. Paperwork's going to be their only thing. Now, how do you manage that? That all has to be done ahead of time. But the advantage of having paperwork is that it's there. You don't need a printer or anything else. It's typed out. It's handwritten. It's what have you. All right. But you got to track it. For training records, it's good, right? Because now you got, you can't, and you can't say, uh, can't use the excuse, well, I, I don't know how to use the app, blah, blah, blah. It's hard copy and everything. But again, what, last shot, what do I have a seven foot pile of paper orientation records? Again, what I want to they were the trained with the written records. They go, they read it, and sign off on the back 30 seconds. Oh, we're going out to do it. Then what, an incident happens? It's like, well, you know you're supposed to do you doing X, Y, and Z. You signed a piece of paper. Why didn't you do it? Well, I just pencil whipped it. I didn't read that. I can't read. How are you going to manage that? What do you do? Do you have a secretary? Do you have to get a secretary or an administrative assistant on site just to manage paperwork? Some sites have to do that. Believe me, I, I supplied, I supplied no, over the years, maybe at, at about a half a dozen secretaries or administrative assistants just to hand, handle the paperwork on the job. And it's an invaluable thing. Uh, one of the sites I was, uh, that's in litigation, we had, well, did they actually designate a competent person? Oh, yeah, we have, pay, we have paperwork and everything. They designated a competent person. That's their signature on it. That's her ID. Again, everything has to be organized first thing. You do not want to play catch up with any of this stuff because then you're dealing with a nightmare. Now, the advantage is a lot of these apps that are out there where you can have multiple apps where the audits, the checklists, and whatever else you need on that job are all integrated. Right now, it's for easy auditing. The main thing is this: easy auditing, easy recall. Now, the other thing is this: what are you? How are you going to generate that data? Where is it going to be? Is it going to be in the cloud somewhere? Is it going to be in a secure server somewhere? Is it going to be on an external hard drive? Which I don't recommend. I recommend not like two or more external hard drives in varying locations. And of course, you have digital media degrades. That's the advantage of a of a cloud service. Uh, again, and you got to be worried about click whipping, right? Right, it's like pencil whipping things. So all this stuff has to go into the thought with the app, and these are the things that you need to consider if you're going to be a safety professional managing all this stuff uh, here. And of course, who's going to pay for it? There's a cost to this. You go to any of the popular podcasts, or uh, not podcasts, uh, uh, cloud services, right? Box, Dropbox, iCloud, what have you. There's a cost associated with that. Internet connection, all this, right? So how do you fight the safety war? You have to make sure that, like Sun Tzu says, a wise general never fights the war until the battle is already won. And that's all in the setup. So with JHAs and everything else, that's all in your setup, how you're going to set things up and everything else, and then how do you, what, what are you going to do? So that's what I'm going to, uh, that's what I'm going to, that's the first part of our program. Send me, me an email, let me know what you think. Jim at uh, safetywords.com. Uh, 845-269-5772. You could text me over there, right? Uh, the other thing is you can go on, uh, if you're on Facebook, you go, you head on over to the uh, Safety Consultant Podcast, uh, Safety Consultant Group 
with uh, and join the 3,300 other people on there with Sheldon Primus, uh, with all of that, and uh, that's what you do. So uh, let's head on over, and I will set up our next part of the program, and let's go to commercial break. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA Recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. That's right. I am your daddy. <laughs> That's Jessica. And we'll hear from Debbie tonight. In an unpredictable world, one voice rises above the chaos. Meet Jim Polzel, a seasoned safety expert who's navigated through some of the most dangerous scenarios from anthrax, explosive cleanups, disasters, and numerous environmental cleanups, and lived to tell the tale. Now, he's bringing his wealth of knowledge, insights, and experiences to you through Safety Wars. From workplace hazards to the hidden dangers in your own home, Jim covers it all. With his engaging storytelling and expert analysis, Safety Wars isn't just a podcast. It's your guide to a safer world. Join Jim Polzel and become part of the Safety Wars Revolution. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts and videos. Safety Wars. Your safety is our mission. So, uh, what we're, uh, uh, we recently we have, uh, got on to iHeartRadio and TuneIn. Uh, I'm going to be updating my website uh, for uh, the uh, listeners and the viewers and where you can go because some people like, uh, like iHeart and some people like uh, uh, TuneIn for, uh, every, no, uh, for that. Uh, okay, hold on. Somebody just texted me with something that they think is urgent. Hang on. Okay, well, we'll worry about that later. I guess. It came across my watch. So uh, what's going on here with uh, air, air quality, the ambient air quality? We're still getting impacted from the wildfires up in Canada, and that's going to go on for the foreseeable future here. And uh, I have a map of the United States here, and this is from uh, AccuWeather Nanuet. Uh, for Nanuet, which is the closest uh, thing. Unhealthy air quality has been reported in major cities across the Midwest, uh, but the Canadian wildfire smoke is on the move. AccuWeather meteorologists can't uh, explain where it's headed to. So uh, where's it headed to? Uh, it's headed to uh, the Plains, Midwest, and the Mid-Atlantic. Now, with the air quality index, we did a deep dive last week. And OSHA and the CDC has put out uh, uh, warnings or uh, no stuff uh, saying, hey, uh, what's going, you know, uh, uh, this is what you need to do. My question is this. What's your plan? If you're predicted to have, whether it's with wildfires or not without wild, without wildfires, no wildfires, what's your plan? Because let's say that you have workers outside. You're on a, in construction, landscaping, any number of professions that are outside, police, and everything else. What 
All right, what's your plan? Because when this hit with a lot of smoke last, uh, two weeks ago now, I guess, what was the last week, two weeks, whatever it was, we had job sites that were shutting down. We had uh, jobs shutting down. Well, we were going to shut down because the air quality index is over 300. Okay, so over 300, you, you go down. And just for a review, that's a, uh, there's a calculation that goes along with five different uh, nationally ambient air quality standards uh, there, and that gets averaged together, and they give you an air quality thing. Smoke or PM 2.5 is only one of them. What are you going to do? Because I tell you what, this is the next greatest thing. The, right, so is there a standard for PM 2.5 for the workplace? Not really. There's respirable dust, which is 10 micrograms or less, and there's for total dust, which are uh, all dust, right? All dust is 15 milligrams per meter cubed, and respirable dust, 5 milligrams per meter cubed. Uh, now, that's out there. What's your company going to do? Because now my question is, is this under the general duty clause, does this kick in with this the air quality index? How, how does that impact it? I impact it. I move back and forth. I need a different camera here. Something to think about. Let's go on over to department of labor and ocean news here. Illinois pizza manufacturer faces $2.8 million in penalties after investigation into 29-year-old sanitation workers' death, fines, safety failures, and a lack of training. The operator of a specialty frozen pizza manufacturing plant in Illinois could have prevented the death of a 29-year-old sanitation worker by following proper machine safety procedures a federal investigation has found. Inspectors with OSHA learned that learned the sanitation workers suffered fatal injuries while working on the overnight shift under the supervision of a certain company at a certain facility in December 2022. Ocean inspectors determined the woman, a temporary worker, ah, temporary worker, got to watch. Temporary workers don't often are not trained, often do not have the equipment necessary to do the job properly are unaware of the procedures and everything else was using compressed air to clean a spiral conveyor as it moved to cool pizza when her head became caught in the machinery. The agency found that the temporary workers had not, uh, I, first time I'm reading this. All right. First time I'm reading this, the agency found that the temporary workers had not been trained or given the authority to stop equipment from moving before cleaning. So, they weren't trained on the equipment because usually moving equipment has some type of an emergency stop on it. Modern equipment, right? Or you have a stop button, a stop where you press it, right? Or they have some type of procedure, but it's almost always a stop. You got equipment guarding. That's on there too. I didn't read the proposed penalties here yet. Uh, but usually, so what are we looking at? Uh, st- guarding. Emergency stops for the equipment, uh, improper training, uh, right? Uh, all right. Equipment's supposed to be off when cleaning, apparently. So the tragedy occurred just weeks after November 2022 incident at the same facility in which a worker performing maintenance on a sauce depositor suffered an amputation, which led OSHA to assess the company $290,191 in proposed penalties. So let's look at this. What was that? Okay. Again, this is maintenance. So you're in maintenance. Where are you in the regulations? You're in the 1910 regulations. So my suspicion, and let's see, uh, can I do the amazing Freskin? Uh, Yeah, I got to get an envelope here, right? Uh, we're looking at machine guarding. We're looking at training. We're looking at possibly a general duty clause violation. You're looking at possible lockout tagouts. That's, uh, 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 that's what we're looking at here. So what do we got? Scrolling on down, all the way down. So, okay, here we have, in accordance with 1903.19, Abatement certification is required. Again, the inspection date was 11 
2022 to 515 2023 so the, again this is it this is a abatement certification is required for this violation using the certification of corrective action worksheet and in addition documentation demonstrating that abatement is complete and must include be included with your certification this documentation may include but is not limited to evidence of the purchase or repair of the equipment, photographic or video evidence of abatement or other written records, and must be abated by June 2nd, which is last two weeks ago now, almost, and $156,259 failure to abate. Here we have citation one, item two, a type of violation, willful serious. This actually came up, this regulation, last week on one of uh, the projects I was auditing. 29 CFR 1910.219C2I. All exposed parts of a horizontal shafting, seven feet or less from floor or working platform, were not protected by stationary casings, enclosing shafting completely or by troughs, enclosing sides and tops or sides and bottoms of the shafting. So we had a situation last week where I was at a facility and all the horizontal shafting was at seven feet to get around this. And somebody actually went through with a tape measure. wasn't me. And the client called me out to see if this was legitimate or not. And I said, well, what's the tape measure say? She, they said, tape measure says, uh, you know, uh, six foot 10. I said, Oh, six foot 10 less than seven foot. So you got to put some type of, uh, Guarding on there, some casing, something on there, less than seven feet. They said, ah, somebody can read a, right? Well, I said, well, you're getting cute to begin with, right? That's what's going through my mind because at seven feet, guess what? Probably, if it was seven feet, I'd tell them to put the casing on there. It's sort of like with a break in construction, with a break in a walking and working surface, 19 inches, you got to put a step in. And so what do the people do? They make everything 18 and a half inches. I'm at a facility right now. Uh, where they do that, where they did that 30 years ago, right? Just to get around the regulation. Uh, so, uh, again, uh, this happened, uh, no abatement on here, apparently, with this also, uh, $133,932. And we have the last oh, citation one item to be willful, serious sprocket wheels and chains, which were seven feet or less above floors. The platforms were not enclosed with zero on that one. So that is one set of citations. Now, the tragedy took the life of a young woman and forever changed the lives of the family and friends and coworkers. Safety standards are put in place to prevent these kinds of injuries and tragedies, said Assistant Secretary of Occupational Safety and Health, Doug Parker. Employers have a responsibility to train workers in a language they understand. Isn't that what we just said in the first half of the program? So they know how to perform their work safely. The December incident led OSHA to cite the company, which also does business as another company, right? They have a DBA for 16 willful, egregious violations. The agency's most severe, one willful violation and 12 serious violations, including five serious instance by instance violations of two of the standards on two on different machines. OSHA issued. 2.812 million 12,658 dollars in penalties and has placed the company in the severe violator enforcement program. So you would think that after three weeks later you someone gets killed three weeks later you might want to you know whatever. Again, you could avoid they could have avoided this had they called 845-269-5772 or Jim at safetywars.com. So let's take a look of the, at this. Do, 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 going and scrolling down, scrolling down, scrolling down. Citation one, item one, serious. Uh, this is 1910.28. Uh, there was a walking working surface violation, uh, unprotected edges, $15,625. Citation one, item two, serious. Another one with a walking working surface violation, uh, four feet, no guard, no unprotected side or edge, 15,625. Citation one, item three, 
another walking and working surface, 15625 And item citation one, item four, serious violation, 1910.133. Again, uh, protective eyewear, safety glasses. Okay, just not wearing safety glasses. Guess what? A guy was operating an ankle grinder without eye protection, right? Here, 13,394. Here we have citation one, item 5A, typhus violation serious. And this is 1910-147, lockout tagout. Okay, I called it lockout tagout. This was one, and I, I mean, it's a rather lengthy thing here. 15,625. Citation 1, item 5B, another lockout tagout violation. They didn't get them on that. No fine. Citation 1, item 6, serious lockout tagout. 15,625. No locks or anything else on there. Key blocks, adaptive pins, self-locking pins, nothing like that. Citation 1, item 7, was 1910-212. A machine guarding, $15,625. Citation one, item eight, type of violation serious. This one was machine guarding, $15,625. They're giving them like the maximum on here for these. And these are all proposed, and everyone's innocent until proven guilty. Uh, 1910.332. Employees were not trained in and familiar with safety-related work practices when required by 1910.332. Point three three one through nineteen ten point three three five, and that had to do with electric uh, things. Eleven thousand one sixty two. Citation one item ten. Exposure to live parts that were not de-energized. Eleven thousand. Citation one item eleven. I gotta take a drink here. Not protected from electric shock. Another 11,162. Now we get into the willful ones. A lockout tagout, uh, willful on here, on another machine. It was a dough mixer. $156,259. Citation two, item two. Again, dough mixer again, willful serious, lockout tagout, $156,259. Another one. Lockout tagout, $156,259. Next one, no training for lockout tagout, $156,259. Another one, willful serious. 1910-147, another lockout tagout one, uh, no training. And this is on another machine, a spiral cooler, $156,259. Type of violation, willful serious. No training on that same piece of equipment. $156,259. Citation two, item seven. Type of violation, willful serious. Each and authorized, no training. $156,259. Citation two, item eight. Lockout tagout on a different machine. This was the sauce machine. Uh, mechanical exposure, mechanical hazards. Going on and on and on, training, guarding, lockout, tagout, de-energizing. All of these and the rest, and we're going up to uh, item 12, citation to item 12, all 156,000. They basically threw the book because they had two fatalities on them. Uh, going on and on. So what's the total? I mean, $2.8 million dollars. Uh, I think that they should probably get an attorney. I don't know. I'm just saying. You know, uh, this is the way it is. So uh, let's throw on a commercial now. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. That's you. I'm pointing at you. you can, I know you can't see that on uh, Safety FM, but you can everywhere else.
with that. Uh, you know, it's very frustrating uh, with the whole thing. Uh, we're not make, taking this light, but, you know, this, this is the whole thing. These probably were temporary workers working at night uh, with this uh, stuff, likely. Or, no, hey, it's a night shift. You know, bosses aren't around. We're not going to take it easy, take it light. Don't worry about it. How often does that happen on any one of these jobs? Part of the value of getting training. And again, we have a lot of uh, this week in New York and New Jersey and the tri-state area up here in the Northeast. We have people graduating high school. They're getting their first job. It may be worth it to run them through some safety training if you're a parent. Have them sit down. Hey, these are your rights. There's plenty of online resources for that. Uh, with that, uh, it's probably definitely you know, worth it uh, for that, right? Again, uh, like I had uh, my old business partner uh, did have it right on some things. He said, how much is it worth after something happens? Would have been worth it? U.S. Department of Labor, Mexican consulate in Dallas signed an alliance to protect safety, health, of Spanish-speaking workers. Uh, how much time do I have left here? Okay, eight minutes. All right. U.S. Department of Labor, and this is a, a press release from the Department of Labor. So on June 14, OSHA's area offices in Dallas and Fort Worth and the Dallas Mexican, Mexican Consulate entered into a two-year alliance to provide Spanish-speaking employers and workers in North Texas with information, guidance, and access to workers' rights resources. Very important here uh, with that because this is one of the exploited groups of people here. Uh, U.S. Department of Labor awards more than $2.5 million to North Carolina to support employment, training service, and in response to paper mill layoffs. The U.S. Department of Energy today announced an award of more than $2.5 million to support employment and training services for people in western North Carolina affected by enclosure of Pactive Evergreen's Canton Paper Mill and by the company's reduction in operations at its Waynesville facility. How many employees here? Doesn't say. Again, one of the externalities of all this electronic stuff is that lack of use in paper. However, you know, if there's a disaster, you know, people, if there's a disaster, you know, what do people need most? We already found out about that, right? Paper breaking news, in case you didn't know, it's toilet paper. <laughs> EPA, state and local officials, celebrate award of over $8.8 million in rebate and infrastructure funding for 28 zero-emission buses in Connecticut. Again, zero emission buses, $8.8 million. This has been one of the administration's biggest uh, thing, you know, biggest things here. EPA seeks public comment to update proposed soil cleanup for Lammers Barrel Superfund site in Beaver Creek, Ohio. Unlike this show on Tuesday, unlike that show, uh, we had, uh, I, I've never been here. Right? The show I was, uh, the site I was on talking about on Tuesday actually happened to be a site that I was familiar with because I worked there for like a month. Uh, EVA is proposing to change the soil cleanup originally uh, selected for the site in 2011. Uh, there's going to be a public meeting on June 22nd to for public uh, public uh, 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 comments, and it's at uh, Beaver Creek, uh, Ohio. Actually, there's a wine in North Jersey made by Four Sisters Winery called Beaver Creek Red, and it's actually a pretty good wine, right, uh, with that. But anyway, uh, I'll give you a shout-out, Four Sisters. EPA Region 7 to present City of Perry, Ohio, with $375,000 check for Brownsfield grant. On Friday, June 16, the EPA Region 7 uh, will present $375, a $375,000 ceremonial check to the city of Perry, Iowa. The city will host the ceremony at the Perry Solar Pavilion in Caboose Park. And uh, what they're using the grant for is uh, for to conduct the phase one or and phase and four phase two environmental site assessments 
I'm going to tell you that's not going to go that far, that money. The grant funds also will be used uh, to prepare as community involvement planning, conduct five, conduct five public meetings. I mean, hey, uh, the, the refreshments of these public meetings alone might flow through that $375,000. Uh, okay, Fort Dodge, they got $500,000 check, according to the same website I'm looking at, the U.S. EPA website. On Friday, June 16th, the EPA uh, right, uh, will present a $500,000 ceremonial check to the city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. The city will host the ceremony. And it's, again, phase one, phase two assessments uh, going on there and some other uh, stuff happening here uh, with this. And in case you're wondering, the National Brownfields Training Conference will be held on August 8th to 11th in Detroit. Offered every two years, it's a conference for the stakeholders uh, on these Brownfields properties. Helka Mining Company uh, penalized $143,000 for hazardous waste management violations. Uh, with this, and I'm sorry, I mentioned the uh, company name. Uh, the U.S. EPA announced today that a company uh, located on the Admiralty Island near Juneau, Alaska, was fined $143,000 for violating hazardous waste management and disposal requirements under RECRA. Okay. There's a whole bunch of other stories here that I'm going to save for tomorrow uh, on this. Uh, one of them... <sighs> I mean, this is like the uh, island of Dr. Moreau or Frankenstein uh, type thing. Uh, why don't I just read it for you? And this is where do Okay, the story is this. The now they're making uh, synthetic human embryos created uh, in a groundbreaking advance. So, again, they're saying that breakthrough could aid research into genetic orders but raises serious ethical and legal issues. They're creating human embryos for stem cells, right, and uh, everything w uh, with that, right? They're creating this in the laboratory without eggs or sperm. That's, uh, right? You can say, well, someone's going to do it. Okay, someone's going to do it. I get it. But this is, uh, uh, now, do they have a soul? Are these, uh, what are they? No brain, they're missing parts and everything else here just to, uh, don't have a beating heart or the, or the beginnings of a brain, but includes cells that would typically go on to form the placenta yolk sac and the embryo itself. So they're allowed to do this for, for the first 14 days here. But we know that there are probably places on earth, you know, especially after this whole COVID thing, uh, that stuff goes on that we don't know about. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, and then if you say, well, I'm not uh, going to want that, well, like we found out during COVID, I don't want this stuff. A lot of people, medicines that, uh, or vaccinations that were made out of embryos. Well, guess what? There was a list uh, in Kansas, one Kansas hospital put out with 27 different medications that are common over-the-counter stuff that uh, rely on on uh, stem cells, fetal stem cells. People are like, oh, I didn't know that. Well, you've been using them for 20 years. I haven't been paying attention. So that's all I got for you tonight. I'm going to do the outro, and uh, I look forward to seeing you tomorrow on our Friday program. Uh, we may be pre-recording that. I don't know. We'll see. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.